I want to tell you a, a quick story of our four-year-old granddaughter, Piper. Piper's four years old, and she has gotten into a habit of telling stories. And some of those stories are pretty interesting. And a few uh, months ago, a couple of months ago or so, she came home and told her parents that she had been hit by another girl in her class and that she hit her back. And so the, Kelly and Garrett told us this story. And so the next time I saw Piper, I asked her about it. And I said, so Piper, what happened? Did somebody hit you at daycare? And she was just real serious. Yes, some little girl, and she named the girl. She hit me in the face and in the eyes. I said, so what did you do? I hit her back harder. I said, oh, okay. You know, and I said, what did the teacher say to you when you hit her back harder? She said, that's good, Piper. That's good. I thought, okay, I know that's not true. Turns out none of it was true. She was just has this imagination. Well, I, I tell you that story as we continue our study today in the Sermon on the Mount, a study that we began back in January. And, and so we're going in and out of this series. We'll continue it for the rest of the year. And we uh, come today to the penultimate of the six antitheses where Jesus is uh, the sixth antithesis, is easy for me to say, is where Jesus uh, taught, you have heard it said. In other words, this is what the Pharisees and the teachers of the law were teaching. You have heard it said thus and thus, but I say unto you, and he gave the correct interpretation. And so this uh, next to the last one is where Jesus talks about turning the other cheek. We'll finish this section next week. So today we're talking about turning the other cheek. Turning the other cheek. But what does that mean? We hear that a lot. In fact, uh, there are a lot of sayings that come out of the Sermon of the Mount. Sermon of the Mount is really the, uh, I consider it, and many others do as well, um, men and women who are much more educated than me, uh, they, they consider this to be the greatest block of teaching that we have in the Gospels. And there are a lot of phrases that come out of this teaching that are used in, uh, in modern culture that people don't realize came out of this teaching. Turning the other cheek is one of those. People throw that around and maybe don't even realize that it came from Jesus' teaching uh, in the Sermon on the Mount. But what does it mean to turn the other cheek? Everybody's got different ideas about it. I read uh, just this week... A story about a young man, and he, he was, he's actually an adult now, but he was telling a story when he was young that he was being followed by a, a bully. Uh, a, an, I think an older guy who, you know, just didn't like him for one reason or another, so he, he, he followed him, and I believe they were on bikes. And uh, this bully came up to him, and he punched this young man in the face. He punched him in the face, and, and then he left, and he had, a, I'm sure, a few choice words for him. And so this young man wanted to be obedient to God's word, and he, he remembered this part about turning the other cheek. So the young man chased the bully, caught up to him, and, and, and said, Hey, do you want some more of this? And he offered him his other cheek. Do you want some more of this? And, and so the bully punched him again, and then he said, You're weird, and he left. Is that what Jesus meant? 
to turn the other cheek. Uh, also, uh, another interpretation of this uh, that I read about, this actually happened in 2018, and I told you these two, and you know, and they're kind of uh, two ways that people interpret this, but in 2018, there was a, a gentleman who is a conservative leader of a conservative organization in our country. This is uh, an organization that promotes uh, family values and uh, in, in politics and that type of thing. And so this man is a Christian. He's a president of this organization. He's a Christian. He's also uh, a, a Southern Baptist ordained pastor. So uh, he was been interviewed, and they asked him about his support for then-president. This is 2018, so uh, then-president uh, Donald Trump. And uh, they asked him about his support for him. He says, well, you know, it's, it's nice to have uh, someone on the playground who can step up to the bully and punch the bully every once in a while. And so then the reporter said, well, what about turning the other cheek? And his response was, well, we only have two cheeks. So is that what that means, that you know, we can limit? Now, I, I'm not going to assume that the reporter asked this in, in good faith. I'm not going to assume the reporter knew what it meant himself. I don't know that he knew what it meant. Maybe he just heard about this. So I'm not going to assume that that was an honest question. And uh, you know, whether, you know, whatever you believe about uh, former President Trump is not the issue. What I bring up is the response of this pastor who said, we only have two cheeks. Is that the correct way to look at turning the other cheek? So there's a lot of interpretations out there. Who's right and who's wrong? And how should we interpret it? Because this is something that we, we come across in our uh, culture today and in our lives. So we, we'll start, of course, by looking at Matthew 5, beginning with verse 38. This is where we pick up in Jesus' teaching on the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew 5, 38. Jesus said, you have heard that it was said, eye for eye and tooth for tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who asks you, and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. So, Jesus addressing here the question, how do we respond to personal injustice? To personal injustice. When people hurt and offend us. Now, we're going to find out. And you know this already, that Jesus teaches that the, the Christian response has to be different. It must be different than the world's response. Now, we're introduced here to something called the Lex Talionis. Lex Talionis. Everybody say Lex. Say Lex Talionis. That's a Latin phrase. And lex taliani simply means the law of exact retribution. The law of exact retribution. In other words, this law is, is one that we follow uh, today in, in our culture and many other countries as well. Because this law stipulates that the punishment must fit the crime. And so this law goes back to the Old Testament. 
goes back to the Old Testament. This is what, what uh, the eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth refers to. And we find it in several places in the Old Testament, including Leviticus. We're going to read from Leviticus, but it's also in Exodus, and it's in Deuteronomy, and it's very clearly explained. Here's what it says in Leviticus 24, 19, and 20. Anyone who injures their neighbor is to be injured in the same manner. Fracture for fracture, eye for eye, tooth for tooth. The one who has inflicted the injury must suffer the same injury. Now again, we, as I mentioned, we read the same thing in Exodus and, and Deuteronomy. This is what is referred to as the Lex Talionis. Now when God gave the Lex Talionis to Moses, and this is very important, when God gave the Lex Talionis to Moses, it was directed at the judges, at the men who were going to be judging cases. And it established the idea of judicial restraint. Judicial restraint. In other words, that the, the punishment should fit the crime. It controlled excess. Sometimes we hear politicians say today, uh, we should kill, we should uh, execute all the, the drug dealers. Well, that goes against Lex Talionis, right? That the punishment... Uh, fits the crime. The, the Lex Talionis was the principle of an exact retribution, and its purpose was to specify the, the parameters of the punishment which a wrongdoer deserved, and to limit the compensation of his victim to an exact equivalent and nothing more. So it had the double effect of defining justice and restraining revenge. It had the double effect of defining justice and restraining revenge. For example, if somebody stole a loaf of bread, you could find them the equivalent of a loaf of bread, but you couldn't cut off their hands because they stole a loaf of bread. That went again the le against the Lex uh, Talianis. Uh, today, if somebody steals a car, you don't execute them for stealing a car. The, the punishment has to be commensurate with the crime. You don't take a life for an eye. You take an eye for an eye. You take a tooth for a tooth. You don't take a life for a tooth. It's judicial restraint. And it also stopped people from seeking vengeance by taking the law into their own hands, which could lead to never-ending conflicts and, and, and in some cases between families or between groups because they insist on taking the, the law into their own hands. And yet, by the time of Jesus, this is exactly what the religious leaders had done. They had taken the Lex Talianis out of the legal realm. Remember I said that God gave this to Moses for the judges to determine the correct punishment. But the religious leaders had taken the Lex Talianis out of the legal realm and then made it a point of personal practice. Not only that, but in their legalistic manner, they presented this as a right that they were owed and as a right that the people were owed. And, and so some people see this even today as a right that we are owed. Uh, so to the religious leaders, it was something that they had to insist on. Rather than it was something that had to be restrained judicially, as, 
as what, uh, the way that God instituted it. It was a complete twisting of God's original intent. God's original intent was it, it was to be used as a way of restraining, of restraint and correct punishment that fit the crime. And the, the religious leaders turned it around as a way of saying, you owe me an eye for an eye. You took my eye, so I'm going to take your eye, so to speak, right? You, you did this to me, so... You owe me this, the, the saying is, you owe me this pound of flesh. I don't know if you've heard that phrase before, but it means, you owe me, you owe me, and I'm going to get it back no matter who I hurt. That's what that phrase means. You owe me a, the pound of flesh. And so all of a sudden, people look at eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, and it means, yeah, revenge, right? And I'll be honest, that's the way I used to see this. I would read this and I thought, okay, uh, revenge. The Old Testament talked about revenge. Uh, no, the religious leaders talked about revenge. The Old Testament just talked about Lex Talionis. The crime, the punishment must fit the crime. So it, they made it into something that had to be personally insisted on rather than something to be judicially restrained. So to turn the other cheek then is Jesus' way of correcting this hyper-focus on protecting your individual rights. Protecting your individual rights. He's saying, you don't need to do that. You don't need to do that. You let the proper authorities protect your rights. It's up to our government, our U.S. government, to protect our rights. Uh, he's saying, you don't have to do that. Because if everybody's out for rights, that's the way we live. We're all out for rights. Well, then, as the saying goes, an eye for an eye leaves the whole world blind. It doesn't work. It doesn't work. So here's what I believe this means. Turning the other cheek. Turning the other cheek refers to giving up our right to retaliate and to trust God to correct the wrong. To turn the other cheek means to give up our right to retaliate and to trust God to correct the wrong. It means that we rid ourselves of the spirit of retaliation, of the desire to defend ourselves and to avenge ourselves for any injury or wrong that is done to us. So the, the principle of Lex Talionis, which is meant for the courts and it's meant for God's judgment, should not be used in our personal relationships. Jesus was talking about personal relationships. Jesus taught that we should base our personal relationships not on seeking justice for ourselves, but we base them on love. We base our personal relationships on love, not on seeking judgment for ourselves. When someone does something wrong to us, we should not try to get even or to seek revenge. Instead, we should accept the unfair treatment, without trying to pay them back or, or to get justice on our own. In fact, notice how far Jesus takes this. Notice how far He takes it. Look at verse 39, Matthew 5, 39. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. Okay, he's not talking about good people here, right? He says, do not resist an evil person. And that raises a question to me, who is this evil person that we're not to resist? Who is this evil person? Is it Satan? No, it's not Satan because we are to resist Satan. 
James said, resist the devil and he will flee. Peter tells us the same thing, to resist the devil, to resist Satan. So we're not talking about Satan. So we're talking about people here, here on earth, right? So I believe that an evil person then is anyone, based on the context here, what Jesus said, I, I believe an evil person is anyone who mistreats us through violence, you know, the uh, slapping, hitting, you know, the violence, or mistreats us through a lawsuit, or mistreats us through political oppression. And I'm looking at the examples. We'll get to those in a minute. The examples that Jesus gave. I think an evil person is anyone who mistreats us through, whether it be through violence, through a lawsuit, or through political oppression. Jesus clearly prohibits us from retaliating against anyone who mistreats us in these three ways. But again, this is not meant to be an exhaustive list. It's like these three and no more. He's teaching us the spirit of non-retaliation. He's teaching us love over revenge. Now, the, these three examples, plus one more that follows in verse 42. In these four examples, Jesus teaches about this, this principle of Christian non-retaliation. And every story shows us a different situation where someone wants to harm us in some way. By hitting us, or by taking us to court, by forcing us to work for them, or by simply asking for money. And in all these situations, Jesus tells us that the, our Christian duty is to, excuse me, to avoid seeking revenge completely. It's to avoid that. Don't demand our rights. Don't retaliate. We shouldn't try to get back at this person who is an evil person and who did us wrong. We should not try to get back at them. Instead, Jesus says we should not only not retaliate, but we should go further and be willing to tolerate more harm from that person if it comes to that without seeking payback. So I think that his words here prohibit us as his followers from looking at any person as a personal enemy. As a personal enemy. A lot of times we talk about people as our enemies when maybe they're our opponents. Maybe they, they don't believe what we believe politically or culturally or, or you know, uh, biblically. So maybe that makes them an opponent but not an enemy. There's a difference here. And, and Jesus, I think, I think, would want us uh, to make that distinction. I think he would want us to regard all people, even evil people, as neighbors. This is what we find when we look at the overall context of Jesus' teaching. He wants us to relate to them lovingly rather than hatefully. And so we're, because of that, to endure abuses graciously refuse to seek revenge. Here's how Peter puts it in 1 Peter 2.23. He writes this, When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, and of course, they're talking about, he's talking about Jesus. Let me start again. He's talking about Jesus here. And in verse 21, uh, to, to, um, so you, you can tell I'm a music teacher. I was going to say two measures before. Two verses before, uh, he, he talks about how Jesus gave us this example. So again, verse 23, when they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. 
When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, and this is important, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. That's an important point. Jesus doesn't teach that, that these evil persons, these wrongdoers, should not receive payback or they should not receive retaliation. The idea is that we should let God handle it. He entrusted himself to him who judges justly. Now, you and I make mistakes in judgment all the time. We, we, we judge certain situations incorrectly. We judge people by their attire or by their background. And then we find out, oh, I was like totally wrong. This person is not who I thought they were going to be. And, and, uh, and then we are ashamed because of, of a, maybe it was a fleeting thought. But we, we don't judge justly because we don't know attitudes. Uh, we don't know backgrounds. We don't see things the way that God sees things. And so Jesus entrusted himself to the Father, even though he was being insulted. He, 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 was, he was being hit physically. He made no threats, Peter says. He didn't retaliate. The idea, as I said, is that we let God handle it. Paul writes this to the Romans in Romans 12, 19. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. Now that's huge. If we take it upon ourselves to retaliate, not only do we retaliate incorrectly because we can't judge justly, but we don't leave room for God to avenge the wrong that was done to us. We get ahead of God, and that's never a good thing. Our retaliation pushes God out of the way. Our pushback, our payback, pushes God and His wrath against this evil person out of the way. And it never ends well for us when we do that. And so we got to leave room for God's wrath. Now, getting slapped on the right cheek, which is what verse 39 talks about, was the greatest insult there was in Bible times. This, this scene here describes what is essentially... A backhanded slap on the right cheek of the person. And these are two important details. The fact that the person who, who, who committed this act of violence was using his right hand. That was significant. That he used his right hand. And the fact that he slapped his right hand on the right cheek of the other person was also significant. Because those, those two combined constituted the greatest insult there could be. This was something that uh, a backhanded, right-handed uh, slap, perhaps with, even with rings. But the, the backhanded, right-handed slap on the right cheek of the other person. Those were things that were reserved for the ultimate insult. So we're talking about a violent attack, but we're also talking about a, a, an insult. This was an insult. It was embarrassing. If someone were to slap you in public with the right hand on your right cheek, that was, um, that was the ultimate insult, and it was embarrassing. People would say, did you see that? Wow, I wonder what he did. Must have really deserved that. 
It was an insult. But, you know, people today, maybe they don't attack us physically, but they can insult us in different ways, like using hurtful words or mocking us for our beliefs, for our stands. We, we do receive insults. No doubt about that. But Jesus wants us to have a spirit that doesn't get easily offended by insults and doesn't immediately try to get back at them. But he wants us to have a spirit that trusts God to settle the score. Because God can settle the score. The score needs to be settled, folks. But God can do it much better than we can. So we leave room for God's wrath. Whether it's a, a violent attack or an, a, a, an insult, which is what this slap really uh, refers to. Then verse 40, if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. So what does this mean? Well, Jesus is talking about the tendency that we all have to demand our legal rights. This is a legal issue. Somebody, he's talking about somebody taking you to court. Right? So this is a legal issue. He's talking about the tendency that we have to demand our legal rights. And he gives this example of somebody is suing you for your shirt. Uh, instead of fighting back, give him your coat too. Give him your coat too. Now, the main idea here, I think, is that many people, uh, many of us who are focused on what we think we deserve, our rights. We deserve our rights. You know, we say stuff like, I must have what's rightfully mine. And Jesus was saying, change that attitude. Change that attitude. He wants us to be less concerned about our rights and more concerned about doing what is right. He wants us to be less concerned about our rights and to be more concerned about doing what is right. Even if it means that we, we suffer injustice, some kind of injustice in the process, but instead of insisting on our rights all the time, we should have a spirit of humility and willingness to give up our rights for the greater good. We go to the next one, verse 41. He says, if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Now this here refers to a very common practice in ancient times where the government could ask people, just common people, to help them carry or transport things for them. The, the example we read in the Gospels if, is the example of, of uh, uh, Simon the Cyrene, who was forced by the Roman soldiers to carry the cross of Jesus when Jesus couldn't carry it any longer. So they compelled them. They didn't ask him, would you like to? They made him do that, and, and they could do that. That they had a, a, a right to do that. They had, there was a, a, a practice that they, they had back then. And so I think this, the way it applies to us today, is that how often we feel resentful when the government makes demands on us. People back then would have resented Roman soldiers. I mean, they already resented the fact that, you know, that there were, you know, this Roman occupation. But now the soldiers come along and say, I want you to carry this for me. And it would have been some, you know, heavy... Uh, something heavy to carry, and they would force men to, to do this. So sometimes we might feel resentful when the government makes demands on us. It's like when there are rules or laws that we don't agree with, and we don't want to follow them. And we say, well, that's dumb. Why do I have to do that? Why should I obey this law? How can I avoid not obeying this law? 
And I think Jesus is telling us not to have that kind of attitude, but we should be willing to do what is asked of us, even if we don't like it, even if we don't disagree with it. How many of you, how many of you just follow laws that you disagree with? Anybody else besides me? I think we all do that. You know, there's certain laws I don't agree with, but we do it anymore. And Jesus said, that's the way we should do it and be willing to do even more. That should be our attitude. And then the last one is in verse 42 where he says, Give to the one who asks you and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. Now this can be misunderstood if it's taken too literally. We might say, well, does that mean that I'm doing wrong because I don't give money to every person who is asking for money at the corner uh, at the intersection? You know, sometimes we want to help people. A few years ago, Osi, our nephew, was uh, on a Sunday morning was going to church. This is back when we were still meeting on Coberlin. And he told me this story when he, when he got to church that he saw a, a, a man who was uh, asking for money. Uh, I think it's right across from uh, the McDonald's there on North Bryant. And so he decided, well, he was stopped at the red light. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give him some money. So he gave him a $5 bill. And the man took it, and he looked at it, and he said, $50, thanks, man. He thought it was a $5 bill. He gave him $50. And he was too embarrassed to ask for it back. So the man did well. He could have gone home after that, I guess. But So, you know, we, sometimes we see people like that, and we think, you know, am I doing wrong because I didn't help him? Now, the city, our city government will, will tell us, don't help those people. There are other ways to help them. But... Is Jesus telling them that telling us we should always help them? No, I, I don't think so. I don't think so. I think, first of all, the real message is about putting others before ourselves. And secondly, the situation that, that Jesus is, uh, is uh, painting for us here is not like our situation. There were no uh, panhandlers at the intersections of the major roads back then that I can tell. But there were people in need. You know, and there were people in need. And so anybody who would have asked... Anybody, Jesus is telling us, give to the one who asks. Anybody who would have asked was somebody who was someone who had a real need. Uh, they had a real need here, okay? So, but what I, I think the, the real point here is what Jesus is talking about is, again, our tendency to be selfish and not to help those who are truly in need. How sometimes we hold on too tightly to what belongs to us and we don't want to share. And Jesus is saying we should be willing to listen. We should be willing to give people the benefit of the doubt. We should think and say to ourselves, if this person needs help, if this person needs help, it's my responsibility to assist if I can. Now, does that involve some risk? Of course it does. And again, I reiterate, we're not talking about people who are asking for money at the intersection. We're talking about people that we come across in other situations that we find out they have a real need. Is there some risk? Uh, of course there, there are risks, but if they need help, I'll help them. In other words, we should be generous. We should be caring, even if it requires some effort, even if it involves some risk. But here's a very important point to consider uh, for, uh, for these four examples that Jesus gave. What Jesus is saying 
is that we should not be overly concerned with our own reputation or personal honor. What he's not saying is that we should ignore the importance of law and order in protecting ourselves and protecting the weak and vulnerable. We should be willing to endure insults and mistreatment, and mistreatment but it doesn't mean we should allow lawlessness or harm to others. He's teaching about our personal attitude and our spirit toward those who wrong us. For example, say there's a person who is drunk or maybe some other way they're not in the right mind and they, and they hit us. They physically assault us. That's not a personal insult. They're not in control of themselves. Our concern should be for our well-being and our family and people around us and for his well-being. Uh, so in those cases, we do what's necessary to restrain them and to protect those who might be harmed. So I think it's clear for us to understand that. And if it's not a personal ins insult, it's a matter of breaking the law, then of course we, we protect ourselves. We protect even the person. Maybe that person needs protecting. This teaching is about not seeking revenge or, not, uh, uh, or defending our own honor. But it doesn't mean that we ignore justice or that we harm, uh, ignore harm that is done to others. We can still stand up for what is right and protect those in need. It's about having a humble and selfless spirit instead of seeking personal retaliation. And I think that's an important distinction. So let me finish by saying this. We've got to remember that the ability to give up our rights is a gift that God gives us. It's a supernatural ability given by the Spirit of God. I have no way on my own strength, and neither do you, to give up our rights just just naturally to just um, be insulted be cheated without wanting to fight back we still have a you know the the part of our flesh that wants to fight for our rights and wants to fight for a desire to hold grudges or to seek revenge this is where we've got to seek the power of the holy spirit by living a life in the Spirit, by obeying God, by abiding in Him. I believe the, the fruit of the Spirit is born in our lives. is love, joy, peace, patience, perseverance, goodness, gentleness. So we've got to repent if it's necessary. When we walk in the flesh and pray for grace to those that are unlovable to us. And give up our rights to retaliate. I think as we draw near to God... He empowers us. I think as we draw near to God through His Word, through fellowship, through the ministry of His Holy Spirit, He, he empowers us to respond the way that Jesus wants to respond. So those examples I gave at the beginning, turning the other cheek, I mean, you decide based on what Jesus said, based on what He said, are those appropriate? But more importantly, you decide for yourself. What does it mean? What does it mean for me to turn the other cheek? I think what, what Jesus has taught us is, is I'm not going to say is clear and easy, but it's understandable and it's doable through the power of His Holy Spirit. Let's pray together and let's ask God to help us today. I want to be faithful to God. I'm like the young man on the bicycle. I want to obey God. 
I'm not going to follow somebody who insulted me and tell them, insult me some more, or somebody who hit me and tell them, hit me some more. But I, wanna, I do want to be obedient to, to God. So let's pray together. Heavenly Father, you know our hearts and you know our weaknesses. And Lord, having lived in this world for many years, I've seen, as many others here have seen, Christian men and women who have been insulted personally. Uh, maybe they've had violence perpetuated against them. Maybe they've been cheated. Maybe they've been sued. They've, they've been taken to court. Maybe, uh, Lord, they've been forced to do something they didn't want to do by the government's kind of political oppression. We've seen this, Lord, and uh, it's natural for us to want to fight back. I know that feeling. I understand that. I think we all do. But, Lord, I pray that you would help us to understand this, that when we trust you and we leave room for you to act on our behalf, you do things well and you do things justly. So maybe, God, it's a, it's a matter of us not really trusting you. Maybe it's a matter of us not really putting all our trust in you and saying, okay, God, you're going to take care of this. I don't know how this is going to play out in my life. I don't know how this is going to play out in my world. I don't know how this is going to play out in our country, but I trust you because you always judge justly and you've said, vengeance is mine, I will repay. So help us. Lord, to be faithful to your word.